Welcome to Consumed, the podcast that features casual conversations with the people behind what we eat and drink. I'm Jamie Lewis, and I just discovered that Consumed hit the top 40 of food and wine podcasts in the U.S. this past year. Top 40. Mind blown. I think you're going to like this ninth season of the Consumed podcast. I interviewed a couple chefs, a brewer, knife designers, a cheese purveyor, produce manager, fitness instructor, farmer advocate, religion professor, singer-songwriter, wine historian, and a pizza don. From Paso Robles to Ventura, they told me the story behind the story of what they do and why. Before we get into it, let me give a quick shout out to a couple of key sponsors who make this podcast tick. One is Santa Maria wine grower James Onaveros with Ranchos de Onaveros Wines. In April, James's label, Native Nine, was named among Wine and Spirits magazine's best Pinot Noir of the year in the country. I mean, I'm not surprised, but still, that's a really big deal. To taste those Pinots, head to the station in Los Alamos, where you'll find the most recent wines from Rancho de Anaveros, as well as tasty grub from Cisco Kid Catering, like classic Santa Maria-style tri-tip, barbecue plates, burgers, pork belly tacos, plus beer, kombucha, even avocado toast. Hang out in Los Alamos, enjoy James's wines, and soak up the best of a Central Coast summer. Many thanks to Rancho de Anaveros and James for his support of this podcast and his commitment to the growth of the local wine industry. For more information about Rancho de Anaveros wines, visit ranchostayanaveros.com. I'm also grateful for support from Slow Life Magazine, which focuses exclusively on the perks of living in San Luis Obispo, California. Keep an eye out for my next food column in the magazine. I did something a little different this time, and I asked a few kids about their favorite dishes and restaurants in town. I was rather shocked by their answers, and I can't wait for you to read all about it. Look for the June issue on newsstands at Boo Boo Records and Barnes and Noble, or subscribe at slowlifemagazine.com. When Beth Vukmanik came on the podcast, I was certain we'd talk only about her work with the Vineyard Team, an organization based in Atascadero, California, that promotes sustainable wine growing throughout the U.S. But Beth surprised me with all her many special fun facts. For instance, she was born in a moving VW Rabbit on a freeway in Detroit. She plays the harp professionally. And here's the biggie. She is a fitness superstar. No, really. Beth is a hugely popular Instagram fitness instructor with a following like you would not believe. She's kind, sharp, thoughtful, and fun, and I liked her immediately. Listen to Beth talk about her background in agriculture, her longtime commitment to sustainable wine growing, and how she likes to eat when getting home from a big workout. Here's Beth Vukmanek. How do you spell your last, or how do you say your last name? It's Vukmanek, so it's Vuk like book, and then Manic like... Like, like crazy, crazy. <laughs> book manic. Mm-hmm. Where does that come from? It's Croatian. Oh my gosh! Have you were you born in Croatia? I was not. No, I'm very okay. much American. A few generations in, but I went to Croatia mm-hmm. in 2019 with my dad. That's something he always wanted to do. He's the book manic. Yeah, and it was amazing. Where did you go? We started in Split. Yeah, I've heard that's oh, incredible, it's beautiful. And if you can, if you go, stay in the old cities because mm-hmm. they're just phenomenal. And you'll go out to eat at the the food's ridiculous. Yeah. You'll go out to eat and you'll come outside. You're like, oh, this building's beautiful. And you look at the plaques. It's like, oh, it's an 11th century palace. That's why. <laughs> no <laughs> <biggie>. <laughs> Oh, so amazing. Yeah. So I did that. 
Korchula or Korchula. I'm probably going to butcher the names. Yeah. And then, um, shoot, another island out there, too, that was incredible. So pretty. And then down to Dubrovnik. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you did, is it coastal? Is that mostly coastal? Yeah. And most of, most of the country is, I mean, you know, there's definitely inland stuff too, but there's, I think over 1100 islands. And so you can just sort of pop your way through the whole coast and the islands. And it was, it was a wonderful, wonderful place to go. People don't think of it enough. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people, I'm probably projecting, but I think a lot of people think of it. From, you know, the days of the bombings and the 90s and conflict and everything. And my husband and I got a chance to go um, to inland Croatia. Oh, nice. And we, I, I just loved it. Mm-hmm. I loved it. But I would love to return and go on the coastline. Yeah, me too. I kind of want to do the opposite and yeah. now be able to do the inland portion of it. Yeah. yeah, it was wonderful. I think it's grown in popularity with Europeans specifically. So mm-hmm. a lot of Europeans go there. It's kind of like they're Mexico to us, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Think, yeah. Somewhere to visit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you, uh, did you taste wines while you were there? I did do some. You know, mostly we didn't go to a vineyard because of location-wise where we were at. Yeah. But we would always order Croatian wine with yeah. dinner. Um there's one, GRK, I think is how it's spelled. Oh, wow. It's a white wine, and it was great. I just felt G-R-K like I... GRK? Yeah. The I'm pretty sure that's no how you spell it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> we should check that. <laughs> we'll do that. Yeah. We'll do a little fact checking. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So if you didn't grow... If you're American, you didn't mm-hmm. grow up in Croatia, where'd you grow up? I moved around a lot. I was born in Michigan. I've lived mm. throughout California, northern and southern California. I lived in Virginia a little bit as a kid. Mm-hmm. But primarily, I've been in California. And so high school was up in Livermore, which mm-hmm. is, you know, now a popular wine country. Isn't that funny? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and when you were growing up, I bet it wasn't necessarily, no, was it? Was, it? No, it was definitely like outskirts. I think there was the lab. Lawrence Livermore Lab was, you know, essentially what was there and yeah. a bunch of... Um, horse property. And then Winty was there, though, at the time. So that was kind of like a mainstay that's still there mm-hmm. in terms of wine country. But now it's, I haven't been back in a long time, but even 10 years ago, it was a completely different scene totally. from when I was living yes, there. <laughs> I know. I, mm-hmm. I hate to be this person, but I'm like, Livermore? Really? Or yeah. Liver? Yeah, Livermore? Really? Mm-hmm. And yeah, really. It's mm-hmm. really going nuts out there. It is, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So did you, um, well, here, let's just, I'll, I'll be honest. I saw your bio mm-hmm. on Vineyard Team. Yeah. There's a lot to talk about with you. There, you just, there's a lot there. Um, were you really born in a VW? Um, I was, a rabbit. <laughs> on a the freeway. A VW rabbit. <laughs> like moving down on the freeway? Yeah, on, on the freeway in Detroit. <laughs> How, tell me about that. Well, um, I what think, do you remember? Well, yeah, well, it, was, it was a very traumatic experience. <laughs> For someone it was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it was just a matter of like not knowing the timing and yeah. thinking like, okay, maybe it's time to go to the hospital now. And my dad said that he asked on the way, I guess there was a separate hospital and then there's a hospital that they had the physician at and yeah. asked, you know, hey, do you want to stop here? And my mom said like, no, I'm fine. <laughs> and it turns out that wasn't true. Mom. And I guess he like pulled off to the side of the road and she's like, what are you doing? <laughs> you can do nothing now. <laughs> do you think that that, do you think that that portends like a life on the go or does it mean anything? <laughs> I don't know. I was born on April Fool's Day, which actually makes it oh. better. So I think in some ways that was the ultimate trick. So like no one's ever even tried to play a trick on me. I think I've already, I've done it. <laughs> That's too funny. Yeah. My husband was born on April 1st. Really? So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, well, so you moved around. Did mm-hmm. you graduate high school in Livermore? I did. Okay. Mm-hmm. Would you, did you go off to college or did you have a special interest? Yeah, I went to Cal Poly. So. Okay. Here in San Luis Obispo, I went to Cal Poly, and I did agricultural business, 
So I actually managed to get a, a career in my de um, degree field. Yeah. And I got a minor in music while I was there. That's right. Mm -hmm. I saw that. So what is the, well, first of all, ag business, why'd you go into that? I, <laughs> I, I think I was picking it because it felt like it had a lot of options. Mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do when I was going to college and figured, you know, business in particular, agriculture is in a lot of things yeah. and you could do a lot with it. And it seemed just practical, really, mm -hmm. where I'd have a lot of flexibility. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It does. It has its fingers in everything. Yeah. Sure. Mm -hmm. So what about music? What was the interest there? Is it classical music? No, it, they don't think the minors have a specific. No, I just um, mean your interest. Oh, though. my interest. Yeah. I play the harp. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. What? Yeah. <laughs> you played it all like as a kid? And... Yeah, I've played since I was 11. Wow. And... Yeah, it there was one of those things too that sort of worked out nicely where I thought it would be fun to learn more about music. You know, I've taken harp lessons for a long time, mm -hmm. uh, but I didn't do necessarily much around like music theory or anything yeah. beyond that. And so while I was at college, I found that, you know, you have to get your specific courses for your degree. And then there's mm -hmm. all of these other, I don't know what they call them, like creative courses. Yeah. So a lot of the music courses fulfilled that need to graduate. Yeah. And so it actually just worked out pretty well that I could take all of those classes in music, get a minor and fulfill what I had to do to, to graduate right on. either way. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. So do you play professionally now? I do a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, I've played professionally since I was 16, usually just a couple of gigs a year. So primarily weddings. I play a yeah. lot of love songs. And then, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. And then sometimes you'll get to do a fun, like a dinner gig or a Mother's Day brunch. Yeah. I like doing those. Those are really nice. But not with orchestras necessarily. No, okay. I prefer to play solo. Yeah. Yeah. My son plays cello. Oh. He started with violin. He really wanted cello. And all of a sudden our car felt really small mm -hmm. to carry it around. Yeah. A harp. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. You must have just a huge... Do you have, like, an SUV or something to haul it on? I don't, because I don't move it that often, so yeah. I usually just borrow someone else's car. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah. But, yes, I do have a... It's considered a semi-grand, but it's one of the, the big pedal harps that you see in... Uh, orchestra basically yeah. it's one size down from what you would see there so it's big it's yeah. over six feet tall and why did you choose that instrument I don't know I just I must have seen one somewhere when I was a little yeah. kid and I kept asking my mom about it and said that I really wanted to play and I think after asking for so many years she, she I was persistent enough she figured I wasn't just gonna quit if she sought out some person to teach me harp. that is so cool though mm -hmm. the push 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 Mm -hmm. Applause to mom. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> the woman, um, the beginning of the Simpsons theme, the Simpsons, mm -hmm. yeah. the harp, mm -hmm. that woman um, plays for the San Luis Obispo Symphony. Oh, I know. It's also, I always think of that when I think of the harp. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, so you got your ag business, you got your minor in music, and then what happened after college? So I actually got a job not in the industry initially. I worked for a company called Malcolm DeMille, which is named after the owner who's a designer he builds sculpts I should say these incredible mm. custom trophies primarily for the PGA and wow. different country clubs throughout the nation mm. and so I was I guess you would call it a consumer rep there so I worked with a bunch of golf pros <laughs> to help cool. them design their trophies for their pro-ams and yeah. they use a lot of money clips which is an interesting thing a lot of what money clips for the thing yeah like it's that? it's like a kind of like a gift for people who've um, or attending the event, or it can be a prize, you know, if it's a nicer one. Yeah. And yeah, like money clips are pretty hot. People <laughs> in the use golf industry. Money. Uh huh. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, that's so what what took you away from that? I was really wanting to get back into ag. Yeah. After a couple of years, you know, I figured I spent this time in <laughs> investment on an ag degree, maybe should yeah. use it. Uh, and I did really like, you know, kind of the agricultural facet of going through college. And so I uh, started looking around and I really just feel like I got lucky finding the position for it was to manage the SIP certified program yeah. was opening up at that time. Um, yeah. And applied for that job. <laughs> and it was sort of a weird fit for it, you know, because at this point my resume looks like, you know, this person who plays the harp who's worked for <laughs> a person who, you know, sculpts trophies for the PGA. <laughs> but what I really like doing is I like project management. I mm-hmm. like working with clients. I like organizing anything, you know, yeah. figuring out ways to facilitate it, how to streamline processes, how to make it better, mm-hmm. more efficient. So that's really why I am a good fit for managing the SIP certified program. Totally. Mm-hmm. So SIP certified, you say that it was just coming on. So you didn't mm-hmm. design the program, but you were like one of the first. Yes, in exactly. There. Yeah. Okay. So SIP certified is a project of the Vineyard team. And that organization has been around since 94. Right. So doing education for sustainable wine growing. That's something we still do. So we do these in-field, you know, outside of COVID times, mm-hmm. trainings um, and education on everything, any resource issue, whether it be water, uh, insects, safety trainings, you know, how to better your staff. And so SIP Certified was built, you know, kind of out of all of their previous work. And it started in 2008 as a vineyard program. And I came on in 2009. Oh, so it really is. I mean, you've been with it from the beginning. Yeah, just about. So why start something? And and I know it's called Sustainability in Practice, Mm -hmm. SIP Certified. Why start something like that if vineyard team's already been doing that? What, What was special and necessary about starting SIP? Yes, that's a good question. So originally, SIP actually started out, the vineyard team wrote the first self-assessment for sustainable vineyard farming in 1996, Mm -hmm. and that was intended to be a learning tool. And so it was this questionnaire out of a thousand points that covered every aspect of viticulture. So from habitat conservation to irrigation efficiency to soil conservation, all the way into how employees were taking care of and educated, Mm -hmm. business sustainability, the whole gamut. And they would have... Farmers walk through this self-assessment, answer yes or no, based off of the practices they were doing. And this is just for themselves. For themselves, yeah. yeah. And then the recommendation would be, you know, maybe find some practices that you aren't doing that you want to implement. Mm -hmm. And then we would request that people come back and take the self-assessment again the following year. Mm -hmm. And the idea was to see if people would improve their scores. So was this not only a self-evaluation, but was it a prompt to improve? Yeah. And it was. So we found that over time, scores did improve. So people were using this as fodder for, you know, new practices to implement. And so in the early 2000s, our grower group came back to uh, the organization and said, there's a lot of green claims in the marketplace. You know, mm-hmm. this is when organics is really growing a lot in the early 2000s. A lot of things are being marked as all natural. Yeah. So their thought was, if we're going to say we're making a sustainable wine, we want something to validate it. Yeah. So... A, a process that's third party, that's rigorous, that we have a specific set of standards so that if we're saying, hey, we're sustainable, our customer can say, okay, I know exactly why, mm-hmm. you know, what that means. Mm-hmm. So then we had a technical advisory committee that's still in place today that took that self-assessment. They really made sure that it was specific, you know, kind of beefed up the standards so they could be audited. Something mm-hmm. like you need to have a cover crop, you know, it's a visual thing that an auditor could verify that exists. Right. Right. And, and then launched the vineyard side of the program in 2008. And then we added a winery component in 2016. So that looks at the winery processing facility itself. Okay. Not just the field. 
Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And it seems to me that there's a, a lot of stuff here. One is it incentivizes folks, wineries and um, growers, to now they have a, a real reason outside of just their own desire to... Um, you know, practice sustainably. Now they have a real thing that they're shooting for, a logo that they're looking for, whatever it is that hopefully um, ups the value of what they're offering. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So there's a poll that was done by The Guardian. It said 76% of the public believes independent third-party certification is the best way to verify a product's social or environmental claims. Mm -hmm. So that's ultimately, you know, the purpose of it is it's a way to communicate at the store shelf Mm -hmm. the practices that you're doing. Of course, when you talk to our members, they always say, you know, why they've gone through this sustainable process. They say it's the right thing to do. They genuinely believe in it. Yeah. Uh, And and in terms of getting them to use it in their marketing, that's actually something that we're always trying to support more of. Yeah. You know, so that they can use this tool. It's a big part of their story. They're putting a lot of time, energy, effort into you know, not just getting certified, but all of the things that that means, <laughs> all the right. practices that they're implementing to do that. Mm-hmm. And it can be a really valuable tool in the market. You know, demand for sustainable products is growing across consumers yeah. and buyers are more and more educated about it too. Mm-hmm. You know, seven years ago, someone's, you know, if they're working with a distributor, they might've said, are you sustainable? And they could have said yes. Yeah. And that would have been the end of the conversation. Mm-hmm. But now they're a lot more specific. You know, they'll ask them, you know, what do you do to conserve water? Yeah. Um, how are you preserving your natural habitat? So it helps them. You think about like the salespeople in the field, it would help someone like that be able to answer all of these mm-hmm. questions really specifically. And yeah. it could be an asset to improve you know, location on a shelf, a number of brands have been able to use it to get into a store like Whole Foods, you know, that would require some sort of sustainable uh, work. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, a lot of restaurants now are, farm to table food is very, very popular. Mm -hmm. But I think now we're seeing some more that are pulling the beverage list to match that too. Yeah. Uh, When it comes to, well, let's hear, let's hear how many members you have at this point. Sure. We have, it's a, it's over 40,000 acres throughout California Mm. and we have a couple of properties in Michigan now, which we certified, which is really fun. Yeah. I'm excited about that. Yeah. And so that ends up being, I think it's like 45 million bottles of wine that have the logo on the bottle. Cool. Yeah. It's really cool. So you never intended it to just be a local thing. You always wanted it to go bigger. I don't know that it was an initial intent to move outside of California, but we always knew that the self-assessment worked uh, across borders. Yeah, and it's actually been used for other crops. So Mm -hmm. it's been modified for the cattle industry, for citrus, for row crops. And so we've always been flexible with that in mind, mm-hmm. um, particularly because it was a self-assessment for so long. And somebody can still use it for free as a self-assessment. Mm-hmm. And so the initial Michigan grower is Chantel at Waterfire, and she got in contact with me and said she was looking around for a program. And she really liked SIP and asked, you know, hey, could we look at doing a certification over here? So mm-hmm. we figured, yeah, why not? And we piloted it That's cool. <laughs> just to see, you know, if there were any areas that we had to tweak because they have different, what we found actually really was very little had to be tweaked at all. It was just mm-hmm. some of the water Yeah, that would sections. be different. Yeah, because yeah, they don't have drought issues. Right. <laughs> yeah, so it was simple things. Like they don't, uh, she doesn't even have an irrigation system. So there's mm-hmm. no need to do a distribution uniformity on a system that doesn't exist. Yeah. So it was very simple, small things like that. Mm-hmm. And the rest of it worked great. 
That is so cool. I was on a press trip once up to Sonoma. I think it was that trip up to Sonoma. And um, the person heading up the trip was, we were on a bus driving somewhere and he was talking about the next place we were going to go. And uh, he said that they are, they have this certification, they have this certification. Then he said, and they're SIP certified. And I went, Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. <laughs> that's my backyard. They mm-hmm. do. Yeah. So you guys really are. And I think I did raise my hand or talk to him later and say, wow. So I didn't realize. I think I always assumed that SIP certified meant, I mean, in many ways, I think I thought it was just Paso. Yeah. I don't think I realized how far out it goes. So you've mm-hmm. got Northern California. Yep, definitely. Yeah. Napa, Sonoma, that whole area up there. And we definitely, our roots are in the Central Coast. And that's really where the program started the first few years and ex- expanded since then. Mm-hmm. So the vineyard team is what we call it now. When it was first started, it was the Central Coast Natural Vineyard Team. Oh my god! <laughs> very long name. Yes. So yeah, our hub you know, a lot of our members, a lot of our in-person meetings do take place between Monterey and Santa Barbara mm-hmm. County. So we have a lot of growers that we work with that are within the, the Central Coast. Who were some of the people on that initial uh, committee? For Vineyard Team or for SIP certified? For SIP certified. Oh, yeah. So we have, I still have a lot of them are still on there. That's they can't very cool. Leave. <laughs> yeah. So I have Greg Hibbets, who's with Mesa Vineyard Management. Yeah. And one of the things that I love about the Vineyard team is our founding members back in 94, a number of them own management companies like Mesa Vineyard yeah. Management. It's owned by Dana Merrill. And so they still are involved in our organization 25 years later. Yeah. So they have, we call them, you know, like third or fourth generation board members. Yeah. Yeah. So he, Greg is one of them. I have Daryl Som, uh, who now works with Monterey Pacific, but was with Valley Farm Management for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um it's a, it's a pretty big group, so I hope I can remember everybody. Well, that's everybody. okay. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> but we have representatives from a number of different, you know, vineyards, both some are certified, some are not. So that way we have good feedback um, on people who are going through the program and then also people who can have an outside look who aren't as, you know, attached yeah. to being certified. Yeah. And so that's very helpful. You know, different sizes, skills, experience level. Yeah. Have and you found anybody who... Um, have you ever had any pushback from anyone who who maybe doesn't feel like um, sustainability or um, any kind of environmental concerns are worth pursuing or worth looking at? That an environmental concern wouldn't be worth pursuing? Mm-hmm. Let me just say it yeah. like I mean it. Mm-hmm. Somebody who's like, ah, going green, you know, a bunch of hippies. Mm-hmm. Do you, why does this matter? And no, we're not going to put our, our efforts into that. I don't think I've ever had someone approach it that way. You know, it's a voluntary program. So if somebody doesn't want to do it, they just don't go through the process. But I've never had someone, you know, negatively, you know, or have like a negative approach and just say, you know, we don't, we don't feel like trying to improve what we're doing is worthwhile. Yeah. Well, I think that it has so many benefits to not, it's not just to, um, I think when people hear sustainability, they think. Yes, less water. And a lot of the time for myself, I think Mm -hmm. I'm doing things wrong. Mm -hmm. I need to change the way I'm doing things for the planet. But Mm -hmm. sustainability for you guys, I know it means far more than that. It means the sustainability of your business in many ways. Yeah, we always talk about the three P's, which is people, planet, prosperity. And I think the last two P's are are often not immediately associated with sustainability. It's easy to think about the planet side. Yeah. But, you know, 
people are our most valuable resource. We need them, mm-hmm. you know, to get any kind of work done. And then the same thing with prosperity. If you don't have a successful business, you can't continue to have good practices with yeah. the planet and the people. Right. So yeah, that's a really, really big component of it. And I think culturally, especially through, you know, Vineyard Team and our membership and here on the Central Coast, people are very open and sharing with information. And I think that's probably why we don't run into that sense of I'm doing something wrong as Mm -hmm. opposed to, oh, this is a good learning tool. Maybe I can learn something Mm -hmm. better, you know, or something new. Yeah. I love that prosperity is part of your, I mean, whether it's part of like your core values or your mission statement or whatever, Mm -hmm. that's for them. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, I love that you focus on human resources a lot mm-hmm. and how to keep that sustainable. With labor being what it is right now, are you seeing a lot of need for your, you know, for your help and guidance and services? Yeah, labor is always interesting. We talk a lot about that at the Sustainable Ag Expo. That's a you know three day educational event that we put on, and it's definitely more challenging to come by. And that there's different, I think, kind of ways to mitigate that. You know, some of it might be in providing a good place to work where people want to stay. You know, you mm-hmm. talk to a lot of our long-term members, and they have employees that have been with them for decades. I love that. You know, because mm-hmm. they're taking care of them, yeah. and they're, they have a good career, and they're providing them with an opportunity to not just do a job, but to grow their yeah. career. Yeah. And I think that's huge. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's definitely, you know, built into the certification program. Um. You know, with labor, there's, you know, there's, of course, different ways to handle that. And mechanization is an option, too, yeah. Yeah. that you see more and more of happening. And the technologies come a long way. So you can definitely get some really great quality mm-hmm. crops out of that. So I think that's something that's just going to sort of always sort of be in flux. And people yeah. are going to have to figure out, you know, what makes the most sense to continue to produce a good product mm-hmm. based off of the resources that we have. Yeah. You talk to... I forget who it was. We interviewed somebody that lives in Australia and they said, you know, like we don't have a, a labor pool. So they've, yeah. they've been, you know, mechanization for ever. <laughs> yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. That it was foundational, mm-hmm. you know, for that wine industry. Yeah. Let's take a quick detour here to talk about another consumed sponsor. Slow Food Co-op's mission is to empower health and well-being in the community by providing quality groceries, local produce, and exceptional customer service. Slow Food Co-op sources from local producers, ensuring they offer their shoppers great food and household staples. Slow Food Co-op is your friendly neighborhood grocer, maintaining non-GMO standards and a variety of organic selections. You can find Slow's only community-owned grocery store on their website at slowfood.coop and visit the Slow Food Co-op in-store at 2494 Victoria Avenue in San Luis Obispo, California. I was telling somebody, it may have even been on this podcast, but when my husband and I were living in New Zealand, we were working, I was working for a winery and he was working for a brewery. Um, and we saw that the the labor force there many times has actually flown in from Samoa, oh. from, um, you know, the Pacific Islands. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole different way of thinking about labor forces. Yeah. Wow, flying them in, that is really, because there aren't nearly enough people in mm-hmm. New Zealand to do the work. So, um, 
yeah, every place has its challenges for sure. Yeah, that's amazing. I was in Singapore and I know a lot of their labor comes in from India. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I guess that's sort of a similar concept, you yeah. know, flying labor in from yeah, India. Yeah, right. And yeah. when we were in Italy, it was a lot of people from Romania and mm-hmm. Hungary who were coming over. Um, yeah, it's interesting the way that business and ag work across the globe. Mm-hmm. It really is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's one of the biggest challenges you're seeing your members face right now? Well, I mean, coming out of last year, I think the biggest challenge was uh, the closure of the world. <laughs> I know. I'm, as I'm saying it, I'm like, oh, could you be more dense in yeah, that question? No. But, but that creates yeah. different challenges for different I think different businesses too. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly at first, I think everybody, regardless of where you were working, was a little bit, <laughs> you know, like at a pause moment of which well, is one of the most incredible things about that is all over the world we were all going through something similar. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and just sort of wondering what's going to happen and yeah. what's it's going to how what is it going to look like and how do you pivot you know any part of your life from mm-hmm. business to like people with families that are home with kids. I just can't yeah. imagine how challenging that would be. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I think that, you know, that was a big shift initially was figuring out, you know, labor and work and getting things done in a different way. I talked to a few people that work on the winery side and they said that that's a big challenge. They were looking into bottling, you know, because that's usually a close quarters type of a situation. Um, Some people did almost kind of like a split shift or a swing shift to Mm -hmm. space people out. And then, you know, wineries themselves, tasting rooms like that was definitely open, closed, open, closed, different rules. And in some ways, I think they found maybe maybe some good things about it. You know, the silver lining is we've moved to booking a reservation for your tasting like you would a restaurant. And I think it's working out great. Mm -hmm. And if you've gone tasting, it's actually a really nice experience. You know, you show up. There's a game plan. There's a table. You get to hang out. Mm -hmm. I really like it. Yeah. Personally. So I think that that you know, might be something that we see sticking around and that creates a nice sort of business flow, you know, for them. And then a lot of, you know, kind of creativity too. people doing like the little sample bottles, Mm -hmm. which I thought was cool. Mm -hmm. Um, And just figuring out, you know, online sales, I think is maybe less typical in the wine industry. Yeah. And I don't even think about it. Yeah, I know. We also live close to wineries though. So that's different. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's, you know, a shift that maybe you'll see more ease of that mm-hmm. as well. So, yeah, just a lot of kind of big changes. You know, living in California, of course, water is always going to be a resource yeah. concern for us. And there's lots of research and education technology. You know, there's yeah. always, always, always work going on in that area. God, water. Mm-hmm. I Did you see Brittany Apps? Um film where there once was water i did it's been a few years though oh okay yeah. uh-huh. well just it it's convicting mm-hmm. it really is um yeah it's such a tough issue i mean it's hard not to think that really most of california shouldn't even be here mm-hmm. i mean the land is great <laughs> but we shouldn't be here because the you know the water is all rerouted and um it was never meant to be here and when i say meant to be like by who i don't know but um it's a convicting subject, and I, I know that your members are all constantly under the gun to have answers and to do things um, sustainably and responsibly. Yeah, and there's so many tools that are used. You know, people don't just, you know, irrigate because it's June 27th. You know, mm-hmm. there's they're using soil moisture probes to, um, you know, look at soil water availability. There's a lot of different tools to test moisture in the plants themselves. Wolf Vineyards locally has this really cool, it's subsurface 
irrigation through PVC pipes. Oh, wow. It's really neat. Dripping into the earth. Yes, exactly. Wow. Yeah. And not using heat. And I've heard other research on this, too. We did a podcast with a different professor that the regular, you know, burying the drip line, it mm-hmm. tends to get eaten up or, you know, broken. Um, but the PVC holds up really well. And he was able to reduce, Wolf here was able to reduce, I think, water by maybe 30% or something like that. Holy so, you know, cow. there's a lot of innovative um, work going on mm-hmm. to help mitigate that resource yeah. in its own. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, like, Niter has a has a water collection system off of their roof, which, you know, preserves a ton of water. Those or, guys are so great. They are. They're phenomenal. They have a uh, they have a water treatment center that could treat water for a small municipality mm-hmm. on their property. On the property. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, they're really neat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so for you personally, you weren't involved in wine before this. Mm-mm. Did you become interested in wine through this product? I mean, the end product, not just, mm-hmm. you know, how it's made <laughs> and making it more sustainably, but mm-hmm. drinking it. Drinking wine. Yeah, I do like wine. I'm in no way an expert or an aficionado. Mm-hmm. I, you know, like we talked about Croatia earlier. It, I like, you know, situational food and drink, I think. <laughs> So going to Croatia, it was fun to like be there and drink wine. You know, or if you go to Italy, like go there and you drink their wine. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm going to go to Puerto Rico, I'm going to drink rum. Yeah, <laughs> that's what you drink in Puerto Rico. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I really like the, you know, kind of the culture around wine. Mm-hmm. I think is really fun, and it's really lucky to just live in the middle of wine country. I you know, know, it's like oh, it's Saturday, let's just go wine tasting. You yep. know, no big deal. <laughs> totally. I bet your friends ask you about wine though, don't they? Because you're they're like. Oh, but you work for the vineyard team. Yeah, I do get, it's more like a casual acquaintance would be more likely to ask me, you know, about wine or a referral or a thing, you know, that I like or something's a good value. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So when you pulled up um, earlier, you got out, and you're wearing it now, this incredible crop top. (laughs) And between the bottom of your crop top and the top of your jeans is this unbelievable set of abdominal muscles. Thank you. You're so welcome. (laughs) So I've never had anybody pull up here for a podcast or otherwise just looking so rad like you do. So what do you do to get that? (laughs) I am very consistent. (laughs) That's my answer. I I do mostly HIIT, which is high-intensity interval training. I've always been active. You know, I did Kempo Karate when I was in high school. Mm. I did Muay Thai for seven years while I lived here in the Central Coast. And then I moved into HIIT, I don't know, maybe in 2009, something like that, mostly. Mm -hmm. Um, They're great, just like wicked 30 minute or less, you know, very short interval type workouts. And it can be simple too. You don't have to have a lot of gear. It could be, yeah. you know, push-ups, squats, box jumps, uh, something basic. And that's actually why I got into it is because I was looking for an easy way to work out at home yes. where I didn't need to have a bunch of stuff. I didn't have to pay for a gym membership. It's fast. It's fast. Yeah. yeah. I know a 30 minute workout is 2% of your day. So if you think you can't work out, you can. You have your pitch already. <laughs> oh, I do. <laughs> I say this to my group all the time. <laughs> so you have a group. So I you're do. an instructor. I am. Yeah. So I, I was doing it on my own initially. And then I think around 2012, I had a friend ask me if she could join and just, you know, work out with me. Mm-hmm. And then another friend asked if she could join. So we moved it out to a park here in San Luis Obispo. And I've been collecting people ever since then. So it's either friends of friends yeah. or, you know, a lot of times it's just people who are walking by <laughs> and who that join the workout. So cool. Yeah. So I do twice a week. I run a free 30 minute community workout. Wow. For just anybody who wants to go since 2012. Which and park is this in? It's Emerson Park. Oh 
Oh so right God. downtown. Is yeah. it really early in the morning? No, it's at 5.45 p.m., so it's after oh, work. Oh, cool. Yeah, and I did that tight little window, so it's like as soon as you get off of work, you don't have an excuse to go home and like right. get comfy on your couch. You have to go right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is so, and you do it for free. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. amazing. Yep. Well, how have I, I'm decently plugged in, and you've been doing it for free since 2012, and I mm-hmm. never heard. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, you can come work out. <laughs> I have so many people I'm going to tell. Are you kidding me? You'll kill me. <laughs> no, I've, I won't. <laughs> I've done HIT before, and yeah. it is it is super effective. Yes. Super fast, mm-hmm. but also you just have to have your head in the game to do it. You do. It's, it is wicked, and the thing is, I want people to not feel like they can't do a workout. So Mm -hmm. I always preview the moves. I will show you a million modifications, variations, different kinds of equipment, you know, so people can always do the workout. It doesn't matter where you're starting at. And it's important to modify throughout the process too. You know, if you're starting to get sloppy with your form, you don't want to do that. That's how you get hurt. Right. (laughs) So modify, there's nothing, nothing wrong with doing that. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it is tough. <laughs> so I think you it's just have supposed to, to be. It is, exactly. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people ask, well, when does it get easier? It never. It never gets it's easier. I struggle every single workout. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it shouldn't get easier. The point is you're pushing yourself, but it's yeah. only a half an hour and then you're done. When you say you're very consistent, what does that mean? So I do, I teach my class twice a week. I also film workouts for online. It's Bether Size. <laughs> so I have some online workout Bether programs. Size, I, love I know that's what the group's called, which is really cute. <laughs> A former colleague named me that when he was working out with us and it stuck. I love that. <laughs> I know. So I film a couple of a week and then I do uh, yoga usually once a week and then I do mm-hmm. pole once a week, like acrobatic pole. What too. is that? Like pole dancing. Uh, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Like like what I'm thinking like of? Like exactly dancing? what you're thinking of. Yeah. And do you do that at home or do you go do that with Both. a group? I okay. have one at home. I have a pole at home and then I have a studio up in Paso where I have an awesome instructor. My and gosh. Yeah. So it's very like, you just feel like a circus star whenever you can figure out how to do some crazy upside down, you know, move. Wow. <laughs> wow. Oh my gosh. It, yeah. Would you call that, would you call, fitness doesn't feel like the right word, but movement, is that your passion? Yeah, I think so. I think activity, you know, I like being yeah. active, you know, like I'm happy to even just go out for like a walk around my neighborhood or yeah. a hike with a friend. It's a nice way to spend time that mm-hmm. makes you feel good in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. You know, like it's exercise makes everybody feel better. You sleep better, you have more energy, you're stronger, mm-hmm. you know, that's nice. And once you make a habit of it, it's not that hard to maintain. It's really not, you know, yeah. even you don't have to go to the I don't even feel like I'm going to lengths to exercise a lot. You know, yeah. you figure that's four 30-minute sessions a week plus two other hour sessions. Mm-hmm. It's not that much. No, you know, it's not. This, yeah, in the scheme of things. Truly. Somebody uh, once said to me, uh, I was complaining. Actually, it's when I was doing HIT with a friend of mine mm-hmm. was taking me out. And and I complained because I think I, I think I bailed on her. I flaked one morning because we were getting up at like 4.45. Ooh. It was just yeah. too much. <laughs> anyway, I, I said... I just don't have time to work out. I mm-hmm. just, I, I can't. And she said, you have time to brush your teeth. Yeah. You have time to put on deodorant. Mm-hmm. Sometimes even shower. Yeah. You have time to brush your hair. Mm-hmm. You have time to eat your breakfast. Like, it, she just was really upfront about that. And I, I appreciated that. I thought about it. It's, it is just habitual. Once yeah. you get it habitual. Mm-hmm. And once you reap the rewards, I think, too. Yeah. And you also have to find what you like. You know, so like. I have told you my formula and mm-hmm. that formula makes me happy, but it's also changed over the years. You know, uh, earlier in the early 2000s, I was doing Muay Thai a few times a week. You yeah. know, that was what 
was my happy formula at that mm-hmm. point in time. So I think people need to try a few different things and give it a shot for three months, you mm-hmm. know? And then also, I think a lot of times when people fall off the wagon is they decide, oh, it's January 1, I'm going to start working out seven days a week, mm-hmm. twice a day, and I'm only going to eat broccoli. <laughs> you know, God, it's like the it's eating not, side of things is a yeah. mess, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not a sustainable plan. Mm-mm. So if, you, if you've never, you know, worked out in the last six years... Don't just jump into seven days a week. You're going to burn yourself out too quickly. Try mm-hmm. twice a week. Do something that's actually achievable, yeah. and you will succeed mm-hmm. if you do that. And then you can add in more over time. Yeah. Since this is a podcast about eating, drinking, yeah. all of that, mm-hmm. let me ask you. So because you're so active, can I ask you how you eat? Yes. Okay. No problem. Look at you, looking at your notes. Yes, she was I know. so excited. I actually don't have notes on that, but... <laughs> <laughs> So I don't follow a specific diet plan, so I don't track macros or calories Mm -hmm. or any of that. What I'm good at doing, though, is I batch cook. Mm. So I found a few months ago when I moved, I was just unprepared to feed myself like an adult should know that they should be planning on. (laughs) So I would just open the refrigerator and eat like a piece of cheese and have a scoop of peanut butter and like a pickle. And and it's like, oh, this is exactly why I meal plan (laughs) because otherwise Mm. this is what happens. So I will cook maybe three recipes on the weekend, double them. I usually add more vegetables than what they call for. And that's how I eat. Mm -hmm. So I'm mostly eating home cooked Food. Like left leftovers in yeah, the grandest sense. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, what did I make this week? I just made, um, I just did a curry. I did a, I always do, I like to do a salad, you mm-hmm. know, and do like grill a bunch of vegetables, maybe put a fried egg on top of that, or yeah. you could cook, you know, some sort of a meat to put on top of that. Mm-hmm. And I made a chia pudding that's super good. Mm-hmm. And then that way I just have food at the ready. Yeah for throughout the day. And that for me makes a huge difference. And then if I want to go out and I want to order fried calamari, I will do that, you know, because it's not like I'm eating that every single day. Yeah, right. I love that. I love, um, there's a cookbook called A New Way to Dinner that Mm. um, I got a few years ago. It's from the people who founded Mm food52.com. And it's so good. It talks about on the weekend, it's it's a plan. It's, it has nothing to do with health, but yeah. it's a plan for people who really like to eat well, yeah. but don't always have the hour and a half mm-hmm. after getting home from work. And so I love it. It has a really well put together plan. And, and then throughout the week, you're eating merguez, you're eating lamb chops, you're Ugh. eating, you know, really nice pasta with the greens, which and and cheese, which I just love. Mm-hmm. And anyway, when I'm on my game, I can pull that off and it's really cool. But life for us, we're not always home in the evenings. Yeah. It just can kind of fall apart. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm in need of a new way of batch cooking. Truly. Yeah, it's so helpful because I've run into the same thing too. You know, if I'm going to work and then I teach a class at night, I come mm-hmm. home and I am starving. So there's no way I'm waiting an hour to cook no. something. You know, so this way I can just kind of grab you know, this pre-portioned food. And I'm also happy eating leftovers. I know some people that's not, you know, their favorite fine, thing yeah. to do either, uh, you know, but there's probably ways to work around that or yeah. get creative about how to change the flavors a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, and still meal prep yeah. um, with a different dressing or sauce or salad. And or how to heat it up. I think yeah. the microwave is not 
always your best option, especially with something like a curry or let's yeah. say you have some kind of pizza or toast or something. You're throwing it in the oven. You're not. I think mm-hmm. the microwave is just the default for a lot of people. It is totally. And I've certainly used the microwave if, sure, you know, sure. if I'm in a pinch of time. Yeah. Too. Yeah. You know, but still, I would imagine in the scheme of things, like what's better? It, like coming home and being starving and snacking on whatever crap is laying around Silly stuff, or yeah. microwaving that healthy curry that you made sure. a few days ago. No, 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 totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. Well, so what's next for you? What do you want to see happen either, you know, with the fitness stuff or with work stuff or, um, what do you, what are some of the goals you have? Yeah, that's a good question. I always like just tinkering with whatever I'm working on and improving it and sort of playing around with it. So with fitness, you know, I have some online programs and that's Mm -hmm. been really fun to tinker with and just sort of see like, what do people like? Do they want 30 day? Do they want only abs? You know, what works there? I might actually try to do a little bit of a meal plan as a part of that. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's been really fun to do. And I do a lot on Instagram, just answering people's questions. And then uh, with SIP, you know, we're always looking for ways to better the program. It's sort of built into improvements kind of built naturally into the standards themselves. We get it externally peer reviewed every five years by Mm. experts. Mm -hmm. You know, we have that technical advisory committee that updates it every year. A lot of our recent work is actually on helping our members whole teams talk about sustainability because mm-hmm. we're working directly with the winemaker or the viticulturalist. So they intimately understand, you know, farming and sustainable practices right. and winemaking. But the tasting room is really, you know, who you're interacting with yeah. on the consumer front. So we have a really great newsletter now that comes out twice a week where we cover all kinds of topics to help educate tasting room, marketing and sales teams about how to communicate their own good work. Mm-hmm. And that could be tips on how to do video, how to do social media, different consumer segments and how you would talk about SIP with them based right. off of their own interests. You know, because a lot of it is about connecting with your customer. You know, what do they care about? Like maybe they aren't necessarily interested in, um, you know, cover crops, but they could yeah. think that the financial side is really interesting. Mm-hmm. So that has been a really, really fun thing to work on. Maybe over the last two years, we've done a lot more with that yeah. and doing some webinars on that, too, to do a bit of a deeper dive and figuring out what tools are really helpful yeah. for that side. Are you writing all those newsletters? We work with this wonderful consultant. Her oh, name good. is Brandy, who's just brilliant. So she and I will usually brainstorm a bunch of ideas or mm-hmm. if I get you know any comments in from our members themselves about what they're like more information on. Yeah. And she and I will usually come up with kind of a schedule and agenda and she does all the wonderful writing for us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you want SIP to go like into the Finger Lakes, into, um, I I don't know, all of the wine growing regions? Do you want it to become the industry standard? You know, the goal with SIP has always been to be a distinguishing certification program. It's tough. So not everyone could get certified with it. Mm -hmm. And we like being able to have that as a bar. Yeah. So I think that there's definitely a lot of potential and possibility for it to move into other areas. Mm-hmm. And so as a group, you know, we're always open to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. Yeah. I think that it's, I think all of the pieces are in place for that to happen mm-hmm. for sure. You guys have been doing this a long time. We have. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, you're celebrating, Vineyard Team is celebrating, gosh, more years than I know how to do math. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> But SIP has been, so 2008, Mm -hmm. that's amazing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's great. 
You guys, I, I know you're proud of yourselves, but you we're just on the Central Coast. It's a real, it's a treasure to have that in our backyard. Well, thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so if you were going to, <laughs> I'm just thinking, I always ask everybody, what would you eat on the last day of your life? Oh. If you had the choice. And the thing that came to mind was like microwave curry. I yeah. don't think that's what you're going to say. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> I know. You're like, my curry's pretty good. Yeah. So. But if you were celebrating your life, uh-huh. uh, what would you eat mm-hmm. for your last meal? And what would you drink? And who would be there? Ooh, this is a good question. Well, there's lots of food that I love. Something that always makes me happy and I feel like I could eat all the time is Indian food. Mm-hmm. love Indian food. Same. Yeah. So I would probably just have a big buffet of that yeah, and have everything possible. Shalimar. Sh- I love Shalimar. So do I. Oh, They're so good. So good. Yeah. And get some veggie samosas. Yep. And some garlic naan. Mm-hmm. All the sauces. Yeah. And then, <laughs> what was the other part of the question? Drinking. Was, drinking. Oh, And if you yeah. can't think of anything, mm-hmm. l- allow me to make some recommendations. Yeah. I just love, I love Indian food with Riesling. I Ooh, love it. Nice. Okay. Well, we'll do that. Okay. Thanks. All right. And then a chai <laughs> or five because yeah. I... Always go through an amazing amount of chai when I go there. Oh, so I love tasty. that. Yeah, and then I, you know, I have like a wonderful group of friends and a really nice family, and I think you would just make it a big last supper with everybody. <laughs> Here's what we'll do: we will rent out Shalimar, mm-hmm. yeah. and we'll have all your peeps come. It'll be a big party. I like it. Yeah, Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Beth, you're so knowledgeable. I, I've learned so much, and thank you so much for the work that you do both. Both with HIT and with um, SIP Certified. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. It was so nice to be on. That wraps up another episode of Consumed. If you like what you heard and you think more people should hear it too, please review the podcast wherever you like to listen. Because remember that thing I said about being in the top 40 food and wine podcasts in the U.S.? Yeah, truly. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Consumed, to see photos of my guests, and get links to their many projects and businesses, please visit letsgetconsumed.com. As always, special thanks to Chris Lambert, who edits this podcast even though he's already outrageously busy with lots of other stuff. And thank you to everyone who lets me into their life for an hour each episode. Until next time, I'm Jamie Lewis. Jamie Lewis.